Hi Church, welcome again to this weekend's online services here at The Cornerstone. Now this week, I want to talk to you about something I've discovered that I found really interesting in Genesis, and I want to take some time to take us through this. I believe that what I'm going to say today will really help us understand uh, God's calling on our lives, but not just that, but also help us focus on what really matters in order for us to fulfill what God has for us. I want to begin by asking us to turn to Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to verse 2. Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. Now, Genesis 37 marks an important transition point in the account and the narrative of the lives of the patriarchs. The focal point of Genesis is now fully on Jacob, and that's why it says it's about the history of Jacob. We're first told where Jacob was at this point. He was in a land where his father was a stranger. Now, this is firstly an indication that Jacob was in the right place where he should be, the land to which Abraham was called to be and where Isaac dwelt. Now, what this means for us is that Jacob was in the right placement where God wanted him to be. In the same way, God cannot begin to record our history until we are found in the placement where He wants us to be. However, what's really interesting at this point is found in verse 2, which tells us that the records from henceforth is going to be a record about Jacob's history. But guess what? From Genesis 37 onwards, the biblical narrative becomes focused on Joseph, Judah, and the rest of the sons of Jacob. Now, instead of becoming the central figure of the narrative when it's about Jacob's own history, Jacob ends up falling back into the background. His mention through the rest of the chapters are peripheral, and he fades into the shadows of the records. Now, surely there must be a mistake here. If this is going to be about Jacob and his history, then why does he feature so little? Now, instead, the focus is now heavily on his sons. I reckon that there is no mistake in scriptures. Instead, we are the ones who might well have been mistaken in our understanding of how God sees things. I would like to suggest to us that the record of our history in the eyes of God isn't about what we are doing, but what our children are accomplishing. Now, turn a couple of chapters back to Genesis 28, where there is another transition that is taking place. Now, this time we are told about the passing on of Abraham, and in verse 19, we read this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Again, this verse marks the moment where heaven's eyes are now shifted into a new season. It is no longer Abraham's season because he's passed away, but it is Isaac's season. Abraham had ran his course, had finished strong, and now it is Isaac's turn. And yet again, as we look from that chapter, from that verse onwards, from Genesis 26 all the way to Genesis 35, where Isaac dies, the narrative is not focused on Isaac, but instead it is focused on Jacob. In short, Isaac's season was focused on Jacob, while Jacob's moment of convergence and fulfillment is not about himself, but about Joseph, Judah, and the rest of Jacob's children. 
Now, all too often when we think about our season and our history, we assume that it would be our turn to take the baton and run the race. Instead, it would seem that when we are in our season, when we are in our moment of fulfillment, rather than being the player playing on the field, it would be about our children taking to the field while we are on the stands cheering them on. Now, this is such a different view that we are accustomed to, and I want to take some time to explore this. Now, I believe that in all of our lives, there are three phases which we all must undergo in order to fulfill what God has in store for us. There is always a preparation period that is needed. Then there is a season of transition that takes place. And finally, there is that moment where fulfillment comes and we enter into the season of our fulfillment. You see, in the case of Jacob, this is how I would define these three periods in his life. The preparation period is from Genesis chapter 25, verse 19 to Genesis 33. The transition period is found in Genesis 35, while the fulfillment period is found, is found in Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 49. Now, I like to take each of these periods and talk about them very briefly and point out some of the important markers for each of this period that must happen in all of our lives. Firstly, there is the preparation period. Now, between Genesis 25:19 to Genesis 33, a lot of things happen to Jacob. In fact, it's the record of the whole dealings that Jacob went through. We find in these chapters that he, how Jacob struggled with his brother Esau, how he stole both uh, his brother's birthright as well as his blessings, uh, how he met God in Bethel where he went onwards to stay and work for his uncle Laban, how he met and fell in love with Rachel but ended up marrying both Rachel and Leah. We are told how he was cheated by Laban and finally made the trip back to his father and along the way he wrestled with the pre-incarnate Christ at Peniel and received a new name, Israel. Finally, of course, he's reconciled with his brother Esau. Now, amongst all these things that happened to Jacob, there are two things that stands out for me and I want to share them with you. The first is that Jacob had to come to an understanding of who he is. He had to come to terms with whom God has made him to be. And secondly, he had to come to a place of dependence on God. You see, one of the things we often fail to see in, in this account of Jacob and Esau is that we fail to understand that God had a set of blessings for Esau and he had another set of blessings that is meant for Jacob. The blessings that was meant for Esau and for Jacob were found respectively in Genesis 27 verse 28 to 29 as well as Genesis verse 28 verse 3 to 4. And the content of the blessings are quite different. Esau's blessings was about prosperity and having dominion, and Jacob's blessings was about descendants and land. If you look at it carefully, you realize that Jacob's blessings were the Abrahamic blessings, and it was about an increase in descendants and possessing the promised land. This was meant for Jacob all along, and he didn't have to strive or to fight for it. It was reserved for him. Now, so often we are looking everywhere and at everyone when God has something unique for us. We engage in rivalry with others, we envy what other people have, we compare, we compete, and God has to deal with that issue of the identity in every single one of us. You know, for the 20-odd years that Jacob was working for Laban, the biblical narrative describes for us two things that happened to Jacob. The first was that he saw the rivalry that was happening between Leah and Rachel, and of course amongst their children as well. And this rivalry was by no means pleasant. It was a rivalry that literally drove Jacob nuts. 
And you know, where once he was himself in a rivalry with his own brother, Esau, uh, Esau, now Jacob saw the rivalry happening between two sisters over him. Now, this must be quite a revealing moment and a revealing time for him. The second thing that occupied Jacob's time with Laban was how Laban was constantly cheating him. And just as Jacob had cheated his own brother, now his father-in-law is cheating him. You see, many times we never understand what we have done to others until we end up on the receiving end of the very same things that we have done to other people. Now, this is when we really wake up big time, isn't it? Truth be told, what has been stolen in the end had to be made right. Now, in this account, Jacob had to make right what he stole from his brother. He stole his blessings from his brothers and he had to return everything that he sold. In Genesis 33, verse 3, you know, we are told this, that Jacob did exactly that. You know, in, in, this, in this verse, what we find is that Jacob actually came before his brother Esau and he bowed down to the ground seven times, you know, towards Esau. And, you know, when you look at the promise that was given in Genesis 27 for Esau, which, which Jacob had initially stolen, one of the things was this. The verse says this in verse 29, Let your mother's son bow down to you. You see, Jacob had stolen this from Esau and now he had to return it. And he returned it seven times back to Esau what he had stolen. You see, there's something important here that we need to understand. That some things must be made right or else we cannot graduate from our preparation period. What has been stolen needs to be returned. What is old needs to be repaid. What is wrong needs to be set right. Amen. Now, the second period that I want to look at is this transition period, right? I mean, Genesis 35 marks this transition period for Jacob, and it begins with a call for Jacob to return to a place called Bethel. Now, Bethel was the first place where we are told that Jacob made a commitment to God. And let's look at Genesis chapter 28, verse 20, and uh, let me read this to you. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God would be, will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, God was bringing Jacob back to fulfill his part of the bargain since by this time, God had already fulfilled his part, right? I mean, Jacob responded in obedience to God. He was told, you know, uh, you know he went on and told his whole family members and every one of them in, in his family, you know, uh, that they were to set aside their foreign gods and they did that. They obeyed Jacob and every person in the company of Jacob got rid of their foreign gods and they all traveled to Bethel. Now, this is a moment where Jacob makes a fresh commitment to the purposes of God for his life. You see, when we are in a transitional period and God is about to bring us to a place of fulfillment, oftentimes he first brings us back to the place where we had made a commitment to him. And God reiterates that commitment and we have to again present ourselves to the commitment that we've made to the Lord. You see, shortly after um, you know, uh, Jacob made his way back to Bethel, uh, God reiterates the, the Abrahamic covenant and promises back to Jacob. Now, more importantly, you know, um, God reiterates something very important, and that is the name change that happened from Jacob. And God changed his name and confirms it as Israel. Now, I want to look at two comparison verses, Genesis 32 verse 28 and Genesis 35 verse 10. And I want to read them to you and show them to you. In verse to our Genesis 32 verse 28, it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. In Genesis 35 verse 10, it says, Your name is Jacob. Jacob. 
your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. I believe that after the first encounter that, God, uh, that Jacob had with God in Peniel, and God gave Jacob the name Israel, but even after that, Jacob did not fully come into the name that was given to him. However, from this point onwards in Genesis 35, God wasn't just giving Jacob a name to aspire towards, but God was now awarding and confirming the name to Jacob. Jacob was now entering into a season of being a prince with God, which is what Israel means, and not just being called to be a prince with God. He's going to literally walk into the new name that God has given to him. You see, something else significant happened in, in this chapter, Genesis 35, because what is recorded in this transition period is that there are three deaths that took place as well. The first one is Deborah, who is described as the nurse of Rebekah, who is Jacob's mother. The second was Rachel, the wife of, of uh, Jacob. And finally, of course, Isaac, who is the father of Jacob. Now, each of these deaths represents a cessation of an aspect of Jacob's life that is tied to a previous season. And because he's entering into the new season, these old seasons cannot enter with Jacob. These old seasons, these old parts had to die. They had to cease or else Jacob could not transition into a new season. Now, what do they represent? Firstly, Deborah uh, the nurse of Rebekah, uh, is quite a mystery in scriptures. Uh, there's very little description that's given to us except for the fact that she is, she's described as Rebekah's uh, nurse. Now, one thing to ask, you know, is, um, you know, for, for us to, to question and ask about is, why is, Deb, you know, why is Deborah's death actually recorded here at this point in this scripture, right? Because if you really search through the account in Genesis, you'll realize that Rebekah's death was not recorded in the Bible at all. We're merely told that Rebekah was buried with Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac in Genesis uh, 49. You know, there was no mention of the event where Rebekah died. Now, I really have no answer to why is Deborah mentioned and why Rebekah is not mentioned. But I want, to, uh, I want to suggest this to us, that Deborah was a nurse and therefore she re represented a support. Okay, and that is what she represents, okay? As we enter into tr uh, a transition, okay, some of the things that we had leaned on in the previous season cannot enter into the new season with us. Some of the things in which we have depended on for our supports in the past is no longer permitted to go in with us into this new season. You see, for a time, God may have permitted us to lean on some kind of support. But now in this new season, He wants to remove these support from us. I don't know what they are. They could be hobbies. They could be things that we are relying upon, distractions that help us distress, or people that we've hung on to that God says that, hey, these support things you know, um, cannot be you know, uh, going into the new season that He wants to bring us into. Now, the second person that died is Rachel. And Rachel, you see, while Rachel was loved by Jacob, there was always an indication that she did not attain to the same spirituality as Leah, her sister. For one thing, Rachel, unlike Leah, was not buried with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob. And, you know, burial places, uh, you know, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, are very, very significant because they represent a level of spirituality that people attain to. That's what it speaks about. You see, so Rachel, in this case, presents areas of our lives that are half committed. And half commitments will not be able to enter into the new season that God has for us. We must be fully committed to God's purpose and God's call. Amen? 
And finally, there is Isaac. You know, in this case, Isaac does not represent something bad that cannot enter the new season, but instead, Isaac represents, you know, the part that has been finished, that is now completed. In fact, Isaac finishes part and he hands off the baton to Jacob. You see, assignments that are meant to be accomplished in a previous season also cannot enter the new season. Isaac finished his assignment and there is now no need for Isaac to carry on, uh, to be carried on into the new season. So these are things that happens in our transition period for us in order to be able to enter into fulfillment. And of course, finally, the final period I want to talk about is uh, the fulfillment period. This is the period where we begin to fulfill all the promises that God has given to us. But the strange thing though is that the focal point is now shifted to our descendants. Our season is not about what we will do, about what, but, but instead it is about what our children will do. There is something we need to grasp uh, about the uniqueness of our faith as Christians. Now take, take a consideration and take a look at our Lord Jesus. In truth, Jesus really didn't do very much in this time well, when He was on the earth, right? I mean, His assignment was very specific and He fulfilled His assignment in a mere three and a half years of active ministry. Now think about this, Jesus didn't write any books, he didn't plant any churches, he didn't start a school, he did not alleviate poverty, he did not eradicate slavery, he did not preach salvation to the ends of the earth, but there is one thing that he did, the only thing that he did, he died on the cross for all mankind, the one thing that he was assigned to do. I think this is a macro pattern for us that we can easily miss, this is a type for us in understanding that the principal thing that Christians should be preoccupied with, it is that when we enter our season, our fulfillment, our history, our focus should be on seeing our descendants shine. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did everything that was necessary for His apostles and His disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. You see, our faith is incredibly focused on our children. What is our descendants, disciples, our followers, our spiritual children, our natural children? Christianity places an enormous emphasis on these. The Old Testament emphasizes continually the instruction and training of our next generation. Feasts, monuments, practices, routines were all you know, set up in order to evoke opportunities for the adults and the parents to instruct their children about their spiritual heritage. The New Testament emphasized the making and the multiplication of disciples. You see, when we are in the sweet spot of our convergence and calling, the primary preoccupation will be watching, cheering, and celebrating what our descendants are doing and not about us doing things ourselves. Our self-centered nature tends to interpret God's calling as being about us. Our cultural influences promotes a hero mentality that enjoys the limelight. We think about, you know, we think about how we can be part of the action when the real deal is about how we can get others involved in the action. It won't be about how you can show your gift. It will be about how you can bring out the gifts of other people to shine. It won't be about what you can do, but about how you can make room for others to flourish. You see, understand this, okay? When you look at Jacob's history, as Genesis records it, it was one of pain. It was one of pain as well as one of joy. He experienced the loss of Joseph, the backsliding of Judah, the betrayal of Reuben. But he also eventually saw the elevation of Joseph, the restoration of Judah, the birth and the gathering of his grandchildren, the beginning of the nation of Israel. You see, Jacob's season of convergence was not about him at all. 
It was about how God was dealing with His descendants and bringing them into His all-encompassing purpose. You know, I would like for us, as we come, as I bring this towards a close, I would like for us to consider this very carefully. Consider, think about the age that we are at, consider where we are in terms of the period of our lives, and let's consciously consider if we are still pursuing the pinnacle of our careers or our pursuits, or should we be focusing instead on helping the next generation flourish and thrive? This is what our convergence is really going to be about. Now, if we don't grasp this, then we will never ever reach the purpose that God has for us. That instead of making room for the next generation, we're still preoccupied with doing things ourselves and seeking our own sense of fulfillment. You see, the impact and spread of the gospel is directly linked to us empowering and focusing on the next generation. You know, church, I really want to encourage those of us who have been Christians for many, many years, perhaps decades, and we've spent lots of time in the church because it is time for us to pour into some younger people. Amen. Uh, it's time for us to make disciples and pass on the knowledge that we have and the experience that we have as believers in our walk with Jesus. It's time for us to raise up children, grandchildren, not just natural, but spiritual as well. I want to encourage us as we start this new year that for those of us who have been mature and, uh, and we've been Christians for a longer time, let's open our eyes to look at the people around us, perhaps in our workplaces, around in church. Let's take an interest in the younger generation to instruct them and to make room for them because in that is the fulfillment of our history. In that is the record of our times of our convergence and what God has called us to be. Because the thing I want to point out for us is to, that we would remember that our history is not about ourselves, but it is about our descendants. Amen? Well, you know, brothers and sisters, I want to pray for us before we bring this service to an end this weekend. And I ask you, wherever you are at home watching this, that if you bow your heads and close your eyes, as we just commit this to the Lord. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, O oh God, that you are always calling us, Lord, to look beyond our times and our generation to the next generation, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that it is not about us, Lord, but it is about the next generation. And when the next generation comes, for them, it is their responsibility to look after the generation that comes after them, Lord. Lord, this is how you design it to be, Lord. This is why you called men to be your disciples and followers, and you empowered them, you appointed them, O oh God, and you sent them out, O oh God. You entrusted the great gospel of salvation to the disciples that you raised up, Lord, during your time of ministry here upon the earth, Lord. Father, help us to see this. Help us to understand this, Lord, that it isn't about us doing the work. It's about us raising up the next generation to do the work, oh God. And Father, so I pray that you open our eyes wherever we go. Help us to see that there are put people all around us that we can pour into, that we can help, that we can make room for, and that we would, we would cease to be preoccupied with ourselves, oh God. But we will be preoccupied with you and the next generation that you are raising up, Lord. We bless you, we give you praise, Lord, and I just speak thy blessings, Lord, over your people, Lord. Everybody that's tuning in and watching this, bless them, Lord, and open our hearts to understand, to see, and also to receive, Lord, what it is that you're saying to us, Lord. We pray and ask this all in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us this weekend. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. 
For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.